Blog Talk Radio. February 26th, yes, February 26th edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. This is where we discuss news, politics, and culture, and I guess today a little bit more law, from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. And as we'll see today, I think it also has the best argument for the proper understanding of privacy, the legal protection of privacy. We'll talk a bit about that today. The topic for today, Apple versus, I'm saying 1984. Why? Because what the FBI and the government are asking Apple to do is going to open the door toward 1984. Those of you who are familiar with George Orwell's novel uh, will know what I'm talking about. It. Uh, I, want, I want to thank first, uh, Bosch Faustin sent me the... Um, YouTube video. There's a YouTube video at the top of the program notes at don'tletitgo.com and it is the 1984, the year 1984, Macintosh commercial by Apple and of course they played off the novel 1984 in that and you see Apple as the one defeating 1984. So isn't it interesting that now what we've got 22 years later that Apple is on the forefront of protecting our privacy from an overreaching government. So that is my topic for today. Again, if you go to don'tletitgo.com, you can see all the program notes that I've got laid out for today's show. In particular, I'm going to be referencing the memorandum uh, of the motion in opposition to the government's order to compel Apple to assist the FBI to crack the phone belonging to one of the terrorists in the San Bernardino atrocity um, of just, you know, December, I guess, a little while ago. So anyway, go check that out. There's a lot of other good stuff, too, that we're going to get to. We will talk a little bit about election as well. I kind of knew it was coming, but last night on the stage, every single person on the debate stage supported the motion to compel Apple to write this new software that's required to crack this phone. Even Ted Cruz, who, as you know, I think is the best candidate of the bunch sitting there on that stage. Very, very disappointing. Of course, the worst, bar none, of any of the ones on the stage was Kasich. Kasich actually said that he thought it was terrible that this whole thing was in the newspapers and that basically there's all this public debate going on about it because a proper executive, namely him, he would do some sort of back 
door, you know, or, or what do you call it, closed door, closed door arm twisting of Apple to make them do this without any of us ever knowing that it had taken place. That was basically what he said on the debate stage last night. So I'm urging you. I don't know, Kasich, they say he's running for VP right now. Is he going to be Trump's VP? If he ends up on a ticket, I mean, I already Trump, I didn't think I could vote for him. I posted the other day out on you know social media that there is no, because Trump was out there, Trump was on Twitter, and he's bragging that if Ted Cruz drops from the race, that most of Cruz's votes are going to come over to Trump. And I have no idea why he thinks that, because there actually was a poll that said like 11% of them would go to Trump. Um, but in any event, what I wrote back was not mine, because there is no tequila strong enough or no barf bag big enough for that to happen. And that's just if it's Trump. Imagine if you add Kasich to a Trump ticket. That is disgusting. Uh, awesome thoughts in the chat room is saying that Christie is probably angling for VP now. Yeah, I picked up on that too. What sort of deal would Christie make that he's going to be the VP under Trump? That is all we need. Mr. NSA Defender. <sighs> Some crazy stuff. I already have a call here and I will take it in a minute. The number, if you do want to call and chime in on today's topic, is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. And like I said, first I want to start out talking about Apple, and then probably later we're going to do the, um, you know, some stuff about the um, the debate last night, the election in general. So um, whoever is here in the chat room has got the little question icon pressed. You do have to press one when you call in if you want to talk to me. Go ahead and tell me whether your topic is either Apple, in which case we'll pick it up sooner, or it's the election, in which case, in which case we'll pick it up later. Just let me know here in the chat room, and uh, I'll go ahead and do that. Yeah, Maxwell in the chat room says that he laughed out loud when he heard Kasich say that. Yeah, and one of my Facebook friends wrote something like, King, like he thinks he's king. He's going to be king if he does this. You just basically bring all these people together and force them to do stuff. And that is sort of, in fact, what the government is asking the court to do right now. They would like to avoid all of the public debate that would be involved in passing a piece of legislation, and that is actually one of the primary arguments. So let me start out. Let's go ahead, and I actually want to get into... Oh, someone is reminding me in the thing, <laughs> in the chat room. Christy, how horrible it was to listen to Christy in the debate. Each time he talked about how he was a federal prosecutor right after 9-11, blah, blah, blah. So you have to listen to him. Um, all you little people are so confused about all this privacy talk. Rely on me as a formal federal prosecutor. Just give up thinking for yourselves. And I know what's best for you. NSA 1984 is coming, but trust me, because I'm awesome, says Chris Christie. Yeah, gag. Definite, definite gag. So, um, again, let me go to Apple's motion here. And this is, Apple has a memorandum that they filed in reaction to this motion to compel Apple to create this new software that's going to be required to get into this phone. And um, it's important, I think, that the government, when it made its motion to try to get the court to order Apple to do this, right, to compel Apple to do this, that motion by the government was made ex parte, right, which means that the 
they they went ahead and filed their motion to the court. The court, based on only the government's motion, released the order to compel Apple before Apple had any chance to respond. So there has not been any back and forth in terms of legal arguments between Apple and the government yet. What you see is, you know, so far the ex parte motion that the government filed and then Apple's response. I've read through this motion this morning. I did not read the affidavits, but I read the motion. And now I'm familiar with all the arguments that Apple is making. I like everything that they're doing in here. Of course, some of the things that they're doing they have to do in the nature of making legal arguments in a context where the law is far from perfect. So they have to make whatever arguments they possibly can and distinguish things in ways that I wouldn't, that I don't see as principled. Why? Because the law is not principled today. So barring some of that, which has to happen, my only complaint about this is that the memorandum was not louder about the destruction of value um, that this would represent, right? Uh, The fact that, for example... Well, not even just for example. I mean, all of us who own these iPhones, we see them as a tremendous value. And part of the value of the iPhone right now, the thing that we love, is that not even Apple can get into my iPhone and get certain information off it. Now, if I back up information that's on my phone in other places, especially the cloud, right, iCloud, then yes, Apple can get that information, right? But If there's information that resides solely on the phone itself, that information is secured by two things. There's apparently a unique chip within my phone that has like a user ID, a unique user ID in my phone. And I guess uh, pursuant to Apple's manufacturing processes, these chips are kind of deposited randomly into all of our phones. So Apple doesn't even know what number chip I have in my phone. And then the other thing that Apple doesn't know is my password that I've you know, encoded into my phone. So even Apple can't get into my phone. Isn't that a cool value? And I, I, you know, today people have heard me talk about the third-party doctrine ad nauseum, but the third-party doctrine says that once you share information with a third party, there's certain protections that no longer apply to it. So if Apple doesn't have access to my information, the third party doctrine can't apply. And that means that the government is not able to get easier access to my information. So particularly today where we have not done what we need to do with the third party doctrine, which is get rid of it, I love even more that Apple doesn't have access to certain of my information. This is a tremendous value. This is particularly a tremendous value for Apple in the post-Snowden era. And the idea that they're supposed to just destroy this tremendous value of their company, what you would call goodwill, right? Uh, I guess that's what you would call it in the kind of business world. The, The goodwill that Apple has is in part based on the privacy that it offers for its customers. The destruction, the value of the the destruction of goodwill, I don't even know how they would measure it, but I would guess it would have consequences in terms of market price, you know, stock price, market share, profitability, and, and all those things. And I would like to have seen them go a little bit louder. There was one case that they talked about that was analogous in which there was essentially a destruction of value. And Apple, uh, you know, the attorneys were 
you know, objecting to that and saying that that would be wrong. But I would like to just see them more proudly say, look, you know, this is this is money. And the idea that you can destroy so much money and wealth and value and do it in the, you know, for the case of one potential, you know, bit of information and that that's somehow okay, I think is another thing I would have liked to have seen a little more loudly. So let's let's go through some of the arguments that they are talking about. First of all, they say, look, it is not about one isolated iPhone. It's not just hacking this one iPhone. What the FBI is asking Apple to do is to create a whole new version of its operating system that will bypass the iPhone-based encryption that, as I said, is based on those two unique variables that are unique to each phone. One is the user-selected password. The other is whatever the code or number is that's in the little chip, the unique user ID that is in the chip that's implanted in your phone. Uh, Those two things, it's going to be bypassing those security measures that Apple has put in there. Um, You know, this idea of making Apple create a whole new piece of software and they describe in detail the whole process that's required, how many people for full time for two weeks, and then after that, all of the bug checking, because of course, sometimes if you do upgrade to a new operating system, it wipes a whole bunch of data on your phone inadvertently and all of this stuff. Um, Tim in the chat room says, could the government bankrupt Apple if their demand is fulfilled? I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, I don't know, right? How much wealth and value is Apple compelled to lose if, you know, just because the government is wanting something from them, right? Uh, And even if they have a valid search warrant, how much wealth is Apple compelled to to lose? This is something that needs to be asked. Um, So they're saying, look, you know, the government is demanding Apple create this backdoor, defeat the encryption, making its users, all of its users, most confidential and personal information vulnerable to hackers, identity thieves, hostile foreign agents, and unwarranted government surveillance. Yes, 1984, unwarranted government surveillance. And what Apple is saying is that the All Writs Act, which the government is relying upon in getting this order to compel, does not cover this sort of situation. Why? Because it's not that the court is just using its power to, you know, basically enforce existing law. It is creating entirely new powers that do not exist in current law. And in fact, one of the main arguments that is very compelling to me that Apple is relying upon is the fact that Congress had thought about taking up a piece of legislation that would require this sort of backdoor and that Congress had declined to take up that piece of legislation. And in fact, the uh, the White House, which could have tried to urge Congress to take up this legislation and pass it, the White House also declined to push for this piece of legislation. So, you know, even in the normal case, if you say, okay, um, you know, what the court is asking for actually is not provided for an existing law. It seems to actually contradict existing law. Uh, but there hadn't been any discussion about amending that law at all. You'd still think it was bothersome. You know, again, this is something that's entirely unprecedented. This idea of conscripting, and I believe the word conscription is used in this memorandum, bravo, Apple. But, you know, the idea of conscripting 
coders, you know, software engineers, to create a whole new piece of software at the behest of the government, right? Um, this is unprecedented. But, you know, the mere fact that it's unprecedented should raise eyebrows, but the fact that it is asking for something that Congress has decided not even to take up, that they didn't even want to try to do this via legislation, and now the court is going to take it upon itself to do it, I think is is terrible. You know, this is something that, contrary to what Kasich wants, it should be the subject of a very public debate. And now we could have Edward Snowden weigh in on it. Snowden's attorney has weighed in on some of this stuff. We would like to have a lot of heavy hitters. I, of course, I'm, I want to weigh in on this public debate. I am weighing in on this public debate here in this forum. But, you know, it needs to be done, if at all, if you're going to try to do this in the realm of legislation. But for me, moreover, you know, and, and this is one thing that Apple, you know, Apple's going to concede in its motion. Apple is basically saying this is something for legislators to deal with, not for courts. This is something that is unprecedented. There is no analogous court case that's ever gone as far as this before. Congress has expressly denied to take up the piece of legislation that would require Apple to do this. We need to leave this to the legislatures. That's Apple's big message at the beginning of this uh, motion. My view is that even if Congress purported to require this, that that would be horrible and wrong and that Apple should challenge it on constitutional grounds, even if Congress tried to enact this as a piece of legislation. And I would definitely want to help out on that battle as well. This is in, I'm reading you from the brief. This is a Gibson, Dunn & Crutcher brief. Gibson, Dunn & Crutcher is one of the leading law firms and I, I you know, have no problem. The brief is written wonderfully and it's a good piece. You should definitely check it out if you're interested in uh, getting some legal writing under your belt here. It says, uh, the government says just this once and just this phone, but the government knows those statements are not true. Indeed, the government has filed multiple other applications for similar orders, some of which are pending in other courts. They say, as news of the court order uh, broke last week, state and local officials publicly declared their intent to use the proposed operating system to open hundreds of other seized devices in cases having nothing to do with terrorism. And one thing that this motion talks about in detail is what would be involved if this technology that they're asking Apple to create, if this technology were used in ordinary criminal cases, where the criminals, once the technology was used on their phone, or, you know, not even criminals, but alleged criminals, right, um, innocent until proven guilty, one of the things that would happen in the courts is challenges to the reliability of this technology. And then Apple not only would have been conscripted to create this new software, but to come into court and defend it for its reliability. Why? Because the criminal would say, well, that new piece of software didn't just reveal information that was already on the phone. In fact, it manipulated my information to make me look guilty when really I'm innocent, right? So this uh, is very, very troublesome. Uh, here, you, you know, someone was saying today, I think I saw it on Twitter, someone said, well, why not just have a rule that says if it's a dead terrorist, you can get their information. Basically, then there wouldn't be the legal challenges that Apple is talking about. 
they might try to draw a line in a situation like that, but still you have the issue of taking the unprecedented step of compelling a tech company to create a piece of software that would destroy a tremendous value for all of us law-abiding citizens. We use it for law-abiding purposes. The fact that some people use it for terrorism is not an argument against us having this tremendous value in our pockets. One thing that is talked about in the brief, they say, well, uh, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to compel General Motors to assist the government in a real substantial way simply because somebody used a General Motors car to, you know, commit a crime or commit a terrorist act or something. No, um, it is not the job of the average citizen to do so much on behalf of government. And, you know, even if you paid these Apple engineers for their time, how are you going to calculate the tremendous value in terms of loss of market share? And you think the government can pay for that or would pay for that? No. Um, you know, you might as well be a Trump eminent domain guy and decide that you're just going to nationalize Apple. You know, that's pretty much what this this would amount to in terms of the, the value that we're getting out of this. Um, they say if the order is permitted to stand, it's only going to be a matter of days before some other prosecutor and some other important case before some other judge seeks a similar order using this case as precedent. Once the floodgates open, they cannot be closed, and the device security that Apple has worked so tire tirelessly to achieve will be unwound without so much as a congressional vote. And it quotes from Tim Cook recently, once created the technique could be used over and over again on any number of devices. In the physical world, it would be the equivalent of a master key capable of opening hundreds of millions of locks from restaurants and banks to stores and homes. He says no reasonable person would find that acceptable, end quote. And I would add one more thing, which is that in the California v. Riley, I think that was the, the name of the case, Supreme Court noted that there is so much more in terms of private information on these phones than there is in restaurants and banks and stores, right? Um, it's all in one place, all about one person. And uh, so there isn't really a, an equivalent. We would be horrified at that master key. And uh, we should be even more horrified at the idea that the government's going to have access to technology like this. They say, despite the context of this particular action, no legal principle would limit the use of the technology to domestic terrorism cases. Let me scroll up a little better than this. Okay, yeah. Uh, but even if such limitations could be imposed, it would only drive our adversaries further underground. So they would just use better stuff. And what would happen for the rest of us? Law-abiding individu individuals would be shouldering all of the burdens on liberty without any offsetting benefit to public safety. I think that's a very powerful argument. Again, it's like you are taking the guns away from the law-abiding citizens, leaving them in the hands of the criminals who don't care about breaking the law. This is what gun control or gun confiscation is all about. The law-abiding people will give up their weapons that they use only for law-abiding, you know, lawful purposes, and then all the criminals and the terrorists are going to still have the guns. Why should we shoulder all of the burdens on this and you know apple is saying look there's not going to be any offsetting benefit to public safety isis and all of them they're going to figure out different ways they're going to use foreign 
companies' encryption technology so that the you know U.S. federal government can't reach them. That's what's going to happen. Indeed, uh, they say the FBI's repeated warnings that criminals and terrorists are able to go dark behind end-to-end encryption proves the very point. They say, finally, given the government's boundless interpretation of the All Writs Act, it's hard to conceive of any limits on the orders the government could obtain in the future. So if Apple could be forced to write code in this case to bypass security features, create new accessibility, what is to stop the government from demanding that Apple write code to turn on the microphone in aid of government surveillance, activate the video camera, surreptitiously record conversations, turn on location devices to track the phone's user? Nothing, they say. And they're here quoting FBI Director James Comey. He expressly recognized the following. Here's a quote from Comey. Democracies resolve such tensions through robust debate. It may be that as a people we decide that the benefits of strong encryption outweigh the costs and that there is no sensible, technically feasible way to optimize privacy and safety in this particular context or that public safety folks will be able to do their job well enough in the world of universal strong encryption. Those are decisions Americans should make, but I think part of my job is to make sure the debate is informed by a reasonable understanding of the costs. So Apple is just saying, look, we need to have this as a public debate before we give this power to the government. And again, what are they saying? They're saying in principle, in principle, next, the government could be asking for a selective turning on of a microphone, a, an activation of the video camera in your phone, uh, location services. This is scary. And again, once Apple has access to all of this information, it comes under the third-party doctrine, which gives less protection than a warrant based on probable cause and particularized suspicion. So one thing is, do you trust the government to follow the Fourth Amendment? The second is, not even Fourth Amendment protection would apply if we have been deemed to be sharing all of this information with Apple thanks to this new software that the FBI is asking them to create. Very, very dangerous. They say the government, by seeking an order that is mandating that Apple create software to destabilize the security of the iPhone and the law-abiding citizens who use it to store data touching on every facet of their private lives is not acting to inform or contribute to the debate. It is seeking to avoid it. Yes. And again, last night, Kasich made clear that he wanted to avoid that debate entirely, that the job of a proper executive is just to, quote, get things done behind closed doors to strong-arm companies like Apple. And if they don't like it, then basically screw them. (sighs) No Kasich. Never vote for Kasich on any ballot, whatever position. He is a bully and a would-be dictator. If Trump already isn't, right? Okay, so so they say Apple strongly supports, will continue to support the efforts of law enforcement in pursuing justice against terrorists and other criminals, but the unprecedented order requested by the government finds no support in the law and would violate the Constitution. They say it would inflict significant harm to civil liberties, society, and national security and would preempt decisions that should be left to the will of the people through laws passed by Congress and signed by the president. Accordingly, they say the court should vacate the order. Now, I I told you about 
some of the things that they talked about in more detail in the brief, uh, one of them was what would happen if this technology was used in a criminal case, all the legal motions and things that would come up and place a significant burden on the court system, on Apple and everybody else. The other thing is a detail uh, of what exactly is being requested of Apple. Should they create this software and then immediately destroy it, and then the next time they ask, create it again and then destroy it again? Uh, that creates its own kind of problems, right? Because over and over they're going to be asked to do the same thing once the precedent is set. So then if Apple's going to avoid this burden, then they would have to create the software and then hold on to it in some way and try to keep it secure. And they say, look, it's a magnet. Every criminal and everybody else is going to want to get a hold of this software. Even if they try to keep it as secure as possible, that's a tremendous cost and, and risk and everything else. And again, like I say, this third-party doctrine thing kicks in. That's a real problem, too. Um, so there's that. The other thing that Apple uh, talks about in this motion is the times before that other companies have been compelled to assist the government in criminal investigation. And the type of case that comes up is there's a telecommunications company and they're asked to put what's called a pen register on some of their equipment in order to record the phone numbers that some alleged criminal is dialing and things like this. And Apple's point Actually, they have a twofold point in, the, in this sort of case. One is if you have a telecommunications company, due to the heavy government control over the telecommunications industry, these companies can be seen as having somewhat of a government-mandated monopoly, right? So if there is you know, already a, a tremendous amount of favors being given to these companies by the government in terms of some limited monopoly, then maybe it's not so unfair to ask them to, you know, I'll scratch my your back, you scratch mine. Right. So there's that. But then the other thing is that even in those cases with these telecommunications companies and stuff, the only kind of thing that was being asked of these companies was to do something that was very minimal, something that they've normally did in the routine course of their own business or maybe to provide records that they already kept in the routine, you know, day to day business operation. So I think one of them, for example, was a surveillance video in an apartment complex where surveillance videos were routinely taken and stored for certain periods of time. If you are asked to give that access to that to the government, that's nothing. It's something that's a routine business record. If you're, you know, putting on the, uh, you know, the pen register to keep track of the phone numbers dialed and et cetera, this is something that the phone companies themselves will sometimes do to detect consumer fraud. For example, suppose customers are trying to, you know, dial numbers and get away with using their phone and not getting billed for it or something like that, right? So this is stuff that they do in the ordinary course of business. Uh, it amounts to, quote, you know, punching a few buttons was uh, a phrase that was used in, in the motion. And Apple saying, in this case, it is not just pressing a few buttons, doing something that's very minimal. And so you cannot extend this All Writs Act that is just meant for the courts to be able to order some minimal assistance to help apply and enforce existing law. They're saying the the law doesn't exist. In fact, the law contradicts. It doesn't apply to Apple, the existing law in terms of getting them to help. And the type of help that they're being asked to give is un 
unprecedented and it would have tremendously bad consequences and potential consequences in terms of the government going a lot further and, yes, opening us up to 1984. So I do urge you, if you want, to go ahead and look at the whole motion yourself and and check that out. But um, bravo to Apple. Bravo to Apple. I'm tempted to do what one Facebook friend of mine has done, which is write a letter to Tim Cook personally thanking him. That would be awesome. I'm going to go ahead and take a call right now. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Hello, can you hear me? I can hear you. Oh, hey, Amy. Um, All right, so... uh, This is Harold, right? Yeah, yeah, this is Harold. Okay. Now, uh, are you wanting to are you wanting to talk Apple, or you're more wanting to talk election? Well, no, no. Apple first. Okay, sure. Apple first, and then politics after. On the whole Apple thing, I've got like the tech, the business, and the legal. So first, on the tech side, you know, there's a lot of he said, she said. So let me just straighten out the tech stuff in a simple way right now. Okay. The latest the latest versions of Apple iPhones have what's called whole drive encryption. That means the storage device, the hard drive, whatever you want to call it, does not have anything at all on it in the clear. Everything's in cipher. There's nothing in plain text on the hard drive. Okay. So, so how do you use it? Well, they have a certificate. The certificate is the secret for how to decrypt what's on the hard drive. They have a routine they go through, a standard mechanical routine they crunch through, and without that secret certificate, which is tiny, maybe a couple of kilobytes, nothing, and without that, there is no way ever to recover what's on the hard drive. So long as you have the certificate and you run through the protocol, it just runs live, real time. It streams off the hard drive through this little machine, which which deciphers it, and then the, the processor uses the, the plain text information. And that's how it runs. Nothing is left in the clear. It's always in in cipher mode, never in the clear. At and least that and that's true. Hot. That's is that true of the laptops and everything as well? Uh, it de- computers depend. I, I, I don't. I don't want to talk about anything except Apple because computers can have that, but you have to put it on yourself. Okay. The computers are a whole different situation. But an Apple, I, the latest operating systems from Apple automatically do this. They are hyper security aware. They do all kinds of amazing things to keep you secure. If a signal goes a millimeter on a wire on their board, they encrypt the signal in case you're trying to probe the board. I mean, that's how fanatical Apple is. They really do a good job. So now the question is the certificate. This is what it's all about. If you have a failed login attempt 10 times, you know, the first time there's a short delay, the second time the delay gets longer and longer and longer, and by the 10th time it's a really long delay, and if you try to do 11th time, it gives the kill command, which then does only one little thing. It wipes out the certificate. That's all it has to do. This tiny little certificate is erased by an overwrite process, which means it is obliterated. So it's not not that it wipes the whole phone. It wipes out the little certificate. You don't have to. The the, the hard drive looks like white noise. It looks like, like, like if you point a camera at clouds, you just get random. It's totally random. It has no meaning. Without that certificate, that secret, there's no ways to ever recover the information on the hard drive. So all they do is with their kill is they kill the certificate, and that's it, end of story. And, that, and that's what they do. And so what the government wants them to do is they want them to slow down the uh, – sorry, they want them to take out the delay, which they put in the right. software, right. and 
they want to take out the, the maximum n equals 10. They want that number raised to infinity so they can try infinite times. So they want to, it's a convenience thing they're looking for. It's convenience and they yeah. don't want to dis- And Apple is already, probably they've already done it. They're already working on a hardware version. So in the future, they can't make any changes to it. It'll be locked in. There will be no changing it. So th- this is yeah, the that last was, time. That was, actually, um, that was actually one of the stories that I have a link to it today on the program notes, which is that Apple is working on an even more secure version of the phone. So talk about yeah. doubling down. I love it. Yes. All right. So now, now related to the tech and the business. So people are making the charge at Apple. They're doing, they're doing all this. They're not releasing it. It's for profit, and they're trying to improve the value of their company. Good for it's them. Exactly the, it's exactly the opposite. Apple, at great inconvenience to themselves, customizes every single software update to their customers. No two are alike. So, example, when your phone goes online and talks to Apple, it sends its, you know, it, it, it has a certificate which it encrypts a message, and only Apple has the other, the other side of that certificate. But they also send a random number, which is generated by a physical process. So it's not predictable. It's not mathematical. It's purely by a physical random process, you know, random process, like pointing a camera at the clouds or something. Totally never repeatable. That's called a nonce, number used only once. They use that as part of the communication process. Apple gets that. They create a custom version of the software just for that person. They send it back. The person is obviously the only one in the world that can decrypt that is them because they have that secret number internal that never left the phone. They then uh, update their phone, check that everything is good, and then they revoke that, that nonce by overwriting, destroying it, you know, overwriting it. So it goes away. It's gone. Okay. And Apple, a great inconvenience to themselves, does this for every single upload. Wow. So and, and, that's and, and, so, and so your idea is that this is something that kind of impacts their profitability, that, that, that their profits are reduced because they're doing this? But, I mean, for someone like me, you know, now I'm hearing how involved this is. I appreciate them even more, and I want to continue to buy their products mm-hmm. more. So in the long run, that's going to increase their profits because certainly they're getting very efficient at providing the type of service that yeah. you're describing, right? Yeah, think about it. They have 900 million customers. It would be great if they could broadcast the update once, one time, Instead, they have to do individual, customized, 900 million customized updates. Everyone gets a universe, gets an individual update for their phone, and there's a physical number and a nonce from their phone that only works with their phone. So nobody can interfere with the update and, and, and hack it on the way in. That update's only good for that one phone. So wow. Apple really does take care. They, they take extra care to protect people's security. They're really good at it. They did leave one weakness, which the government is exploiting now, but that weakness will be gone soon. So, okay, now to the business side of Apple. Okay. You've got Bruce Schneier or someone like him. There's, there's some top-level people that are really smart. Bruce is one of them. There's a small group, less than a dozen people, that all sort of think alike. Like, I, He did a survey or someone like him did a survey, and apparently there's about 200 commercial crypto products out there right now for encrypting whatever. Some are free, some are paid, half are in the United States, the other half are outside the United States. People have choice. If Apple goes away, 
it won't take it won't take a day before people shift over to other products and and some of them become popular and they'll be in places that we have no control over whatsoever so it's really silly what the government's trying to do trying to use brute force on apple they they're going to win this one time and then never again so kind of silly now well, from and the then, legal and then they would destroy destroy such a tremendous value i mean these are the elegant looking products that are so intuitive to use and that have such amazing functionality to them. And these guys are coming in here and deciding they're just going to destroy it because they want control and power. And it's terrible. It's truly terrible. Yeah, Apple Apple takes other measures, not just the virtual methods. They have physical security. They have lamination. You can't even disassemble an iPhone. It's just like so difficult. Everything is is glued together in such a way that if you try to start that process, you'll destroy everything. In the pro- it's designed that way. It's meant to be physically difficult to get into. So they have layers and layers of security at all different, at the conceptual level, the software, the hardware, the physical security. Right. They've thought this thing through. Yep. So next, the Fourth Amendment. Mm-hmm. If you believe in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, then you will say, okay, the government sometimes has a legitimate reason why they need to have a warrant, and the warrant has to name the specific things they're searching for and places, et cetera, et cetera, and they have to give justification. Fine. Right. So go get your warrant. So the question is, how can, how can an Apple product satisfy this warrant without, in, without making a problem? There is a way to do this. You have to have an individual certificate buried inside this phone, and every phone has to be different, has to have its own unique security certificate. Mm -hmm. That certificate needs to also be in a database at Apple. And by by a database, I mean a database that's well protected, and there are ways of doing this. They have to have a distributed database, meaning you have like, let's say, I'll just make up something, but let's say, you need well, okay, three so, so out of I'm, I'm, I'm getting, no, I'm, me, getting me, I'm getting your idea. No, no, I'm getting your idea. So the idea is there's going to be this unique thing in the database, and only if there's a proper warrant based on probable cause and particular suspicion would the government be able to access this, and then they could get into your information. But um, I actually think that that should not even exist at all. Uh, well, or, me, or, or, and, and and there's and there's there's two arguments, right? I mean, I don't, I I think it's perfectly legitimate. For somebody to create a product that essentially self-destructs when somebody tries to force their way into it, um, that's fine. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody, it's got your private information and stuff. So suppose I have, you know, remember those little diaries you had when you're a kid or something, and they'd have the little keys or whatever. So suppose you could have one of those little diaries, and um, if somebody tried to force their way into it without the proper key, it would just self-destruct, and that's it. Uh, the only way that you could get into it is if the government comes to you, the owner who has the proper key with the warrant, presents it to you, and you let them in, which you should do, right? You should do that. Um, I am I am perfectly in favor of the government being able to compel the production of evidence based on a proper warrant. But what I'm not in favor of is the idea that the government's going to dictate what sort of products can be sold. I think it's perfectly valid for Apple to sell this product without, you know, the kind of chip that you're describing. So, um, so the, the thing I I'm mean, the thing I'm thinking about with Apple complying with a Fourth Amendment warrant 
is not that anyone forced them to do it. This has to be something they choose to do and do it so well. And the database would be a, a – somebody came up with a method. It's, it's a voting database, meaning you need, you need three out of ten. So you, you divide the information up into ten, ten databases. You need okay. any three, any three or any four of those ten. So if one of them gets broken, you can just so go get any, any other like three. As a, yeah, I still – Still, I mean, so in a world where that database exists, you know, or this system of databases where that exists. Yeah, offline, an, versus, an offline database. Yeah, but versus where it doesn't exist, right, then where where do you, you know, value your Apple product more? I value my Apple product a lot more when that, you know, scheme of databases or whatever it is you're describing doesn't even exist, that even with, you know, Going through a million hoops, Apple doesn't have access to your information. And I, I, I do. I think it is perfectly valid for a company to offer a product where the information on that product will self-destruct. And that the only way that the government could get access to it legally would be presenting the warrant to the person who has proper access to it, the owner or, I guess, you know, the licensed uh, user, I guess in the case of the San Bernardino, the county technically owned the phone. Oh, but I, that reminds you know, gave, me of another. That reminds me of something I forgot to bring up. Mm -hmm. um, Rush Limbaugh about a week ago said that the San Bernardino people were unaware the 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 business, the government business that ran that whole outfit, the the owner of the phone was unaware that they could have set up a server for management of all their devices and they could have unlocked it themselves and overridden what was in the phone. But due to their incompetence, they didn't do it. So they really right, right. had a method. And, yes. And and one of the things one of the things that Apple mentions in the memo is that and I, it's apparently at the behest of the FBI this was done, they changed the iCloud password for the particular phone that they wanted to get into. If they had not changed that iCloud password then they could have relied on that phone going through a periodic auto backup. And then they could have gotten the information that they wanted from the backup. So that the FBI actually, without consulting Apple, right? Because if they had consulted Apple, Apple would have told them. And, and actually the information is available in Apple's public releases about how you can set up your phone to do these automatic iCloud backups and everything else, right? And, it, you know, any device or software that's available out there today, they're always asking you before you can even start using the thing. You know, you're really impatient to use the thing, and you're clicking through like a million windows that say yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And if you don't think, then pretty much the defaults that it's trying to urge you into are in the realm of sharing more information. Why? Because if you share your information, they can use it to sell you stuff, right? So, you know, if, I, you know, typically I'll go through and share as little information as possible because I'm a privacy geek, but there are a lot of people who will go ahead and click through and say, oh, yeah, automatic iCloud backups of my iPhone. That sounds really awesome. And apparently the phone in question in San Bernardino was set up to do these backups, but the FBI messed up that process. And so the information could have been accessible to them but for the FBI's error. Yeah, there's one other there's one other problem with with giving access. It's that foreign governments might be able to apply pressure to Apple to get things that they really shouldn't have. You know, yes. 
you know, journalists, etc., you know, dissidents, whatever. Oh, so yeah. the idea, my idea with a database <clears throat> is that not only would it be diversified among, you know, voting like three out of ten, each one in a separate safe, each one not online, in a read-only media, media like a disc or something that you can never write to again. Sure, I mean, so you have to literally. No, I, I, and, I, I get, I, I get the idea, Harold. Right, and, and so I'm going to cut you off because it's just getting technical. But the no, no, the, I want, I want to, I want to explain that. You you geographically diversify the thing. You put sure, you put some of those sure. things in different countries. Yeah. You put some in, and, gov- and, and some in more, government and more, some in business. Right. So they have more to get all these people together. Yeah, you have to more, all, bring all these people together. The judge has to yeah. coordinate this so that you can pull together two different businesses in two different countries, maybe two or right. three different governments, and only yeah. then can they get access. Something like that. Yeah. And no, and, and I mean, that would be a decent alternative, and I think there are many people who would be perfectly happy with that, but there are other people who would also realize that it's a higher value to have not even that available to the government, and moreover, that if Apple chose to continue selling products without creating anything like that, that they would be perfectly within their right, that we'd be in a, perfectly within our right to buy them. To me, that's the important issue. Now, we could talk about, you know, yeah, okay, maybe some people would think that's fine and no problem, but I don't think the government would have the right to even compel Apple to go down that road, for example. Yeah, uh, all right. Um, yeah, all, all of this gymnastics is to get around why we didn't flatten the terrace to start out with. So There you go, exactly, yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, so we're, we're doing all this backward somersaults, and really we're, this is avoiding the whole real problem. Right. On the politics, yesterday, yeah. now knowing what, what the Dilbert guy, which is Scott Adams, you know, I, I pay attention to him because he's, he's very clever, even though I don't agree with his politics. Okay. He, uh, I, I've been watching the debates through the, through the Scott Adams filter of what's Trump going to do next, so, of course, when I saw Rubio attack him, I, I said to myself, hmm, I wonder what nuclear option Trump is going to use tomorrow, you know? And then, right. of course, I thought, well, you know, the perfect kryptonite would be Chris Christie. He's the one that gave Rubio so much trouble in the past. And so it wasn't that surprising to see him bring out, the, you know, the, Chris, the Christie, Christie missile today and use it against okay. him. Yeah. So, no, I mean, and, and I mean, they deserve each other. I would say Chris Christie and, and Donald Trump. Yes. But Trump came out against the First Amendment today. Literally, he, he oh my criticized gosh. the New York Times. He criticized the New York Times and the Washington Post and said we should sue those people for saying nasty things against him. And then he talks about how he's in favor of the Second Amendment. Well, that's sort of redundant. The only reason you have the Second Amendment is to protect the First Amendment. If you give up the First Amendment, who needs the Second Amendment? I mean, it's sort of pointless. You know, you're, 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 it's the First Amendment because it's the most important amendment. Let me, um, let me ask you a question about Rubio's attack on Trump. And I did not see very much of Rubio's attack on Trump. I didn't get to watch except for, I think, the last 45 minutes or so of the debate. So I did get to see the part about Apple versus FBI, and I saw some other things as well. But the consensus that I've kind of seen out there is that Rubio came in and effectively attacked Trump in Trump's own style, right? And some of us might say that he descended to the level of Trump in order to attack Trump. And then other people were saying, well, Cruz attacked Trump more on policy and kept it more above board and kept 
you know, in effect, more dignity to it. In terms of an effective political strategy, people are saying that Rubio's strategy of attacking Trump is going to be more effective than Cruz's. Why? Because why is Trump popular? He's popular because of all this below-the-belt garbage, right? So what it's are your stylistic. thoughts on that issue? Hmm? It's only yeah, stylistic? Cruz, it's stylistic. Cruz used the stylist. I'm sorry, not Cruz. I don't, uh, Rubio used a stylistic approach. He, he went to the street fighter. You know, he's like the Miami street fighter now. And mm-hmm. he did a Trump against Trump. But his attacks are very weak, and they are going to be un, undone within a day or two. And Trump already today with um, Christie out there, he's already negated everything that uh, Rubio did. Have you noticed the name Marco Rubio, Mitt Romney, R.M.? Both losers. Hmm. Hmm. So I guess the Republicans like losers. I'm not sure. Um, I, I was looking at some of the polls out there. Alaska is is still ahead for Cruz. North Dakota, there's no poll. Colorado, no poll. Um, Arkansas, Cruz ahead. Texas, and um, the other the one, Oklahoma, might Cruz might do a little better. There. It looks like Cruz does better in the West. Not sure. Maybe because of more libertarians or because of the land, the land, the government land ownership issues. Not sure exactly. So I think Tuesday is going to be pretty good. I'm I'm actually quite optimistic. I think Cruz has been preparing for this for a long time. He's going to pull out all the stops, use all his machine that he has. Trump is is going to go against uh, Rubio. Uh, he chooses. He doesn't choose conceptual attacks. His attacks are always physical. Some something that you can see in your mind, like right. Rubio is is all wet or Rubio, something something that's physical, very simplistic that that you can hold in your mind. So. And also he goes 3D. So while they're all in their lanes, you've, you've heard the discussion, the conservative lane, the, um, the other lane, whatever, you know. So okay. Trump is not in, on the ground. Trump is flying above all these lanes. He's in his plane. He's not he's even got his in a drone lane. or whatever, yeah. He's uh-huh. in 3D. He's doing, he's doing carpet wheels all around these people, you know. So he doesn't play by the rules at all. Right, but right. No, but, so, but my kind of my thoughts on this, though, right, is that uh, one thing that's kind of missing from the discussion is something that I've talked about with respect to Obama. So I've done a couple shows where I've talked about Obama, his nihilism with respect to the office of the president and how he's done all of these really undignified things. Like he did that thing where it was the beginning of, I guess, the National Press Club when he was going to do the address, and he was off stage and then you hear a toilet flush, right? Do you remember that one? No, he's, he he deliberately goes out of his way to destroy the posture of the office of the presidency. This right. is deliberate. And, 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 if, and if he's doing that, what is Trump doing? I mean, can you imagine this guy with the way that he tweets and everything else? He's supposed to be president of the United States? And people are actually voting for him. It, it is such a nihilistic campaign in that sense. And so where, you know, some people are saying, oh, well, Rubio, it's really smart because he's, yeah, he's descending to Trump's level, but it's so effective because it's getting Trump where he lives, basically. This is the type of, you know, it, it's it's uh, chipping away at the sort of support that's really helping Trump. And then some people are saying, yeah, well, Cruz, you know, he's got effective attacks on policy, but it's it's not going to work as well with the core of Trump supporters. I mean, do you see what I mean, though? But it's like, is it worth destroying the dignity 
of the office of the president further to defeat Trump? Look, we have to defend the the actual survival of the United States. To mm-hmm. me, that's the number one thing. The president is the king. He's the one that holds off the enemies. So if you destroy the strength of the king, I mean, we have a constitutionally limited king. That's what a president is. Mm-hmm. And if you just destroy the strength of the president, then our enemies can take us down. Like what happened in the Middle Ages. There was constant warfare. You needed a king. Without a king, your tribe would not survive. And so without a strong presidency, and I'm not talking about strong in terms of my big concern about Trump is that he's a fascist. And I'm thinking that all this power, all this power that he has, he may not turn his guns outward. He may turn them inward and against internal enemies. So that's a much bigger concern to me. I mean, you have all these Trump bros, you know, at their rallies, and they're not exactly brown, but bro, you know, can be short for brown shirts. But they have these Trump bros, and Bernie has these Bernie bros. They go to Hillary events to disrupt them. You know, the Mm. the Occupy Wall Street types or the um, Black Lives Matter. So your answer is kind of defeat Trump by any means possible. Yeah, which means Rubio has to go down, and, and he has to lose Florida. And uh, Kasich has to lose um, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this, and Trump did a fantastic job. He took out Bush. That is the best thing anyone has ever done. I found an old tape of mine from 1988. You're not going to believe it. It was election night, 1988, with Bush. And in the background, right there on the stage, was the goofy Jeb Bush <laughs> right wow. there. And wow. I thought my, tape, my tape's in perfect condition. I have to digitize it and put it on YouTube. But this this Bush would have been the one to put the third nail in Reagan's coffin. You know, to the Bushes have been trying to undo everything good that Reagan did, step right. by step. They opened right. up the Pandora's box for Clinton and for Obama. And <sighs> under yeah. under Reagan, we developed fantastic. Air, uh, defense missiles against incoming um, nuclear missiles. Mm-hmm. They were basically using what's called a neutron bomb. It's a tiny fractional kiloton device that puts out strong radiation that has a range of maybe a mile maximum. And so it's a great anti-missile defense technique. You shoot it up. You just have to get kind of close. You don't have to hit it. And it'll just trash the electronics and the explosives in the in the incoming device. And so when it lands, it'll just be a big lump of metal. It won't actually do anything. And we had that technology, and we had a lot of them. They were all built under Reagan. And when Bush came in, he he um, what do you call it? Uh, you dismantled or something? Not dismantled. You decommissioned. So he decommissioned okay. and dismantled all of those. And we don't have them anymore. And it's the perfect defense weapon. It, it causes no harm to anything outside its range. They're very weak. It's like a weak nuke. But it's okay. very effective against other nukes. We don't have them anymore. And would, uh, would, uh, would a Rubio reinstate this or only Cruz? Cruz, I think, is going to go back to the, the Reagan. Cruz has already said he'll go overseas, smash our enemies, and then come home right away. Yes. He said yes. that. And he yes. says it again and Whereas again. Whereas Rubio's going to do all this coalition garbage. Yeah. Yeah, we don't need all this democracy for barbarians. That doesn't work. Okay. Right. And by the way, I'm very careful. I never call them savages because I think there's a big difference between a savage and a barbarian. Savages okay. generally mind their own business. They don't aggress against others. They just are not into property and, and conquest, whereas barbarians are organized and have ideology 
and structure and aggression. And so, okay. to me, so in my mind, I'm always careful, you know, call a barbarian a barbarian because yeah, that's that what makes they sense. are. Now, Harold, i got to go back. Otherwise, I'm not going to get through my program. Do you have anything <laughs> more right. to say before I let you go? No, I'm, I've run the list. Thank you. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's hope that you're right, that Cruz has a good chance still, and we'll keep uh, talking about this as the election season goes on. So thanks a lot, Harold. Yeah. Hope and change. Okay. Trump and change. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Okay. So over here in the chat room, uh, Herman says, if Cruz wins, he might ban stem cell research, or will the Democrat representatives likely be able to stop that? I would think that there'd be a lot of pushback on something like that, and I don't think that that would be a top priority for him. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think that, to me, I'm not so worried about that. The The biggest thing that's most disturbing to me about Cruz right now, given my privacy bent, is the fact that he actually thinks that Apple should comply with that court order. Uh, people here are saying, great call, thanks, Harold, et cetera. So, Harold, if you are still listening, uh, let you know that people here in the chat room are appreciating your contribution to the show today. Um, uh, Matt in the chat room says that Cruz and Rubio have two choices, be above it and lose or attack this fraud as a bully and knock him out. And that's really the debate that's going around out there today is the idea that, you know, do you have to attack Trump in the exact kind of way that he attacks everybody else in order to be heard by the Trump supporters who are, of course, attracted to Trump's method. But let's go back a little bit to the Apple before we return to the political. I've got a really cool thing to tell you guys about at the end. If you're over at DontLetItGo.com, you may have already seen this thing at the bottom of the program notes, but at least resist watching it until the very end of the show, and I'll tell you guys about it. There's less than a half an hour to go, so if you can hang in there. If anybody else does want to uh, call in and talk about some of the stuff, it's 760-888-5817. But I'm going to return to my program notes over here. Uh, I told you about the fact that the FBI was the actual one who instigated the changing of the iCloud password. That's something that Apple talked about in their motion. Uh, Apple also, by the way, made First and Fifth Amendment-based claims uh, that first, you know, the software, writing of software, software is deemed to be an exercise of the First Amendment. And what Apple is, basically Apple is undergoing viewpoint discrimination by being forced to write software that it ideologically disagrees with that they actually believe, Apple believes, that it would be wrong, morally wrong, politically wrong, to write this software and that they would be forced to do so. They'd be forced to engage in speech positively, i.e. write software uh, that counteracts their ideology. So that's a, another very interesting argument that they made. Uh, with 12 other active cases, the FBI can't claim that it's just about one phone. Yes, they talk about that. And then there's a couple of stories. One has to do with um, the government itself being hacked. And Apple did talk about that in the beginning of its motion. This just highlights basically how good the private sector is at creating data security for us and how bad the government is at maintaining data security. Could you even trust a tool like this in the hands of the FBI? No. Apple was saying 
that basically each time that this tool was used, that they themselves would have to manage the use of the tool in order to maintain the privacy of its users in any semblance at all. Um, this is a CNBC article. The headline is, Cyber Attack Total is More Than Twice Previously Disclosed, according to the IRS, which has a lot of everyone's private information. So cyber attacks on taxpayer accounts affected more people than previously reported the Internal Revenue Service said on Friday. So this is today, released today. Again, I really hate when the government releases bombshells like this on Friday. Everybody complains about it. The government continues to do it. The government needs to be somehow reprimanded or held accountable for putting out these bombshells on Friday, hoping that everybody's going to forget it by Monday and not notice it. But here it is. IRS statement originally reported by Dow Jones revealed tax data for about 700,000 households might have been stolen. Specifically, a government review found potential access to about 390,000 more accounts than previously disclosed. In August, the IRS said that the number of potential victims stood at more than 334,000, which had been more than twice the initial estimate of more than 100,000. But now we're at the 700,000 mark. They say, if somebody has all this information, we may see a resurgence next year of fraudulent tax returns. Paul Stevens, the Director of Policy and Advocacy for the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse, told CNBC in 2015, the IRS discovered an incident involving its, quote, get transcript application last May. Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration conducted a nine-month investigation that turned up additional accounts that uh, could have been potentially accessed. So what's the moral of this? That the government has been terrible, just terrible, at protecting your private information and that private industry, which is doing a good job of it, needs to be supported. Something that is very heartening in the news is to see that Apple does not stand alone in protecting our privacy out there, that we have other tech companies in Silicon Valley and elsewhere that support Apple's position. As I understand, though, so Microsoft is listed here. I think that Bill Gates himself thinks that Apple should comply with the FBI's request. But Microsoft, it says, will file an amicus brief next week to support Apple Incorporated in its fight with the U.S. government over unlocking a terrorist phone. President and Chief Legal Officer Brad Smith said at a congressional hearing Thursday who was going to discuss the need for new legislation to govern privacy. Now, as I said, it is going to be a little scary if they do take up this legislation because for me, it is possible, I think it's possible, you know, Amash is in there. Amash can prevent, I think, the worst from happening, hopefully. I think Ted Cruz is also going to prevent the worst from happening in, in terms of privacy. But, um, you know, it's not the case that, oh, as long as there's a legislative process, whatever they order Apple to do is fine. I, I don't agree with that. That is sort of the drift that you get in the motion. But anyway, we'll see. Um also, the Google parent, Alphabet Inc. and Facebook Inc. plan to file a separate industry brief, according to people familiar with the matter. Twitter says, says that it expects to join a friend of the court brief as well. So this is, I think, very heartening that a number of these bigger tech companies are lining up behind Apple 
on principle in this case. Again, we don't know exactly what each of their particular positions is going to be. Are they just going to support Apple only insofar as there hasn't been legislation and then they are willing to comply with any piece of legislation, basically majority rule, and will bow down? Or are they going to have a more principled idea of you know, what it is that you should be entitled to purchase and what companies should be entitled to offer? As I mentioned during the discussion with Harold on the phone there, Apple is, according to a New York Times article, said to be trying to make it harder to hack iPhones, harder than it already is. And this is a New York Times article that was just published two days ago on Wednesday, February 24th. Apple engineers have been developing new security measures that would make it impossible for the government to break into a locked iPhone using methods similar to those now at the center of a court fight in California, according to people close to the company and security experts. If Apple succeeds in upgrading its security, and experts say it almost surely will, the company will create significant technical challenge for law enforcement agencies, even if the Obama administration wins its fight over access to data stored on a phone used by one of the killers last year in San Bernardino. If the Federal Bureau of Investigation wanted to get into a phone in the future, it would need a new way to do so. That would most likely prompt a new cycle of court fights and yet again more technical fixes by Apple. The only way out of the scenario, experts say, is for Congress to get involved. Federal wiretapping laws require traditional phone carriers to make their data accessible, but tech companies like Apple and Google are not covered, and they have strongly resisted legislation that would place similar requirements on them. And this is something that was talked about in the brief, that Apple is not a traditional phone carrier that isn't governed by this access, but that even if it was, the type of you know effort required of these companies to turn over the data is just for them turning over data that would be gathered in the ordinary course of business anyway. And Apple's ordinary course of business is to provide us this privacy. That's what it is. It is not in Apple's ordinary course of business to have access to our data that it could even turn over to the government again. Government, yes, come with a proper warrant. Come with a proper warrant. Present it to me, the one who owns the phone, and then I'm supposed to let you into the phone. Now, we could talk about whether I've got a Fifth Amendment or something if they try to do that as well. Is it testimonial? We could start having that debate too. But I am not in principle against the idea that the government is entitled to compel the production of evidence in a proper case with a warrant based on probable cause, based on particularized suspicion. And, yeah, in this case they have a warrant but it happens to be that they're not presenting it to the right party. The right party to whom to present the warrant in this case is dead, and therefore the password is no longer accessible. It's fine, in my opinion, that the key to this thing dies with me, right? That the information is just gone. That's all there is to it. Now, it says, uh, yeah, so Congress is going to have to get involved if they're going to do this. Tech companies like Apple and Google are not covered by this legislation, uh, someone from the Brookings Institution, Benjamin Vitas, I guess, uh, says, quote, we are in an arms race unless and until Congress decides to clarify who has what obligations in situations like this. They say for Apple, 
security is a global marketing strategy. New security measures would not only help the company in its fight with the government, but also reassure investors and customers. Thank you, New York Times. Yes, there's a tremendous amount of what they call business goodwill that is built up in this phone. Quote, for all those people who want to have a voice but they're afraid, we are standing up and we are standing up for our customers because protecting them we view as our job, end quote. And that is from Tim Cook, Apple CEO, in that interview that he did with ABC News on Wednesday. And I just say bravo that this guy understands it in such a principled way, right? There are a number of people who are giving, I guess, ideas to Apple about how that you know something could be hacked into, et cetera. But um, again, I think that there should not be any compelling of Apple to reduce the value of the thing that you have in your pocket and therefore destroy the goodwill of Apple in general. I think it's terrible. Tim in the chat room says that every iPhone user will have to buy a new generation product if the government wins. Yes, that's right. Uh, Justine says why the phone carriers would have to turn over data because the phone carriers are so much more regulated. Yes, maybe. One of the cases that was cited in the motion had to do, like I said, one was I think an apartment building where it was video footage, surveillance footage that is typically stored by the company. So it's still something that they have in the ordinary course of business. Something else was... um, Records, credit card records from a credit card company. And credit card companies are now heavily, more heavily regulated under Obama, right? Obama is protecting all of us from the evil purveyors of credit, right? But in doing that, he is also making a bunch of our financial data subject to, uh, you know, government orders to compel and everything, and they're putting all of our data into some big database that, as the IRS is showing, we cannot trust the government to keep our data, never mind when they start, you know, merging all these databases into some massive behemoth thing. (sighs) On our way to the uh, 1984 plus panopticon horror, it sounds like. So, bravo to Apple, and I love this as an answer, that, okay, you're going to do this, we're going to make it even harder to hack these things, but that's a, that's the best. Here's the reaction of one company. Thanks, Rob Abiera, by the way, for a number of the stories that I've got in the program notes for today. This is from TechCrunch. Headline, Turing Robotics drops Android and sets up shop in Finland amid global security concerns. They say California-based secure smartphone manufacturer Turing Robotics Industries announced that it will move manufacturing in its new global headquarters to the Finnish city of Salo. Turing's decision is rooted in security concerns. Quote, Finland's act on the protection of privacy in electronic communications, which safeguards confidentiality and privacy in telecommunications, was the main reason behind TRA's move to Finland. To ensure complete data security and privacy for TRI's Turing phone owners, TRI moved its manufacturing operations to Salo, a city with impeccable history in mobile phone production, said Steve Chow, the CEO of Turing Robotics. TRI, the maker of liquid metal cyber cipher phone, the Turing phone, 
quote that the uh, company foresaw the potential issues of data encryption and global government covert surveillance programs ever since mid-2013, Snowden revelations, right? And it made a decisive move to be established in Finland, the company said in a statement. So what are they doing? They're moving. Maybe they're going to be shrugging. I, I'm loving what Apple is doing, and I just want Apple to stick to their guns. Because, I mean, imagine this. Uh, suppose that they lose their motion, and suppose, you know, they're going to appeal, of course, and I don't know if they're going to be able to do what you call an interlocutory appeal or, you know, what what's going to be the status of how quickly they can appeal this. Is, you know, is Apple, as with some prior court orders, are they going to be compelled to undergo hardship during the appeal itself, right? Or will the government or will the court be at least decent enough to say, okay, we'll stay the order pending an appeal? What happens at the end of the road, right? So you go through all of this through the appeals court and then the Supreme Court, and then they say, no, we're, we're still, we're going to compel Apple. So do guys come with guns and force the Apple engineers to write this software? What happens? Or what do they do? They fine Apple because Apple isn't going to do it. I guess they'll, they'll fine them until they put them out of business. I want Apple to stand up. I want Apple maybe to just go ahead and, I don't know, give, it, give us all even stronger updates or something. I, I, just, I want to see something out of Atlas Shrug with Apple. It would just be awesome to see it. We have seen you know, people making references to this in Congress. You know, Cruz is one of them. Um, but I would just love to see someone in business as prominent as Apple basically use that technique, say, okay, you want us to shut down all of the iPhones? I mean, how many people in the government themselves love and value their iPhones. They really want to destroy Apple? I don't know. Uh, John in the chat room says, why does the government have a right to extract important engineers from their jobs? Exactly. What Apple is saying in the motion is that it would take, I think, four plus, I can't remember exactly, but at least four engineers full-time for at least two weeks in order to just initially design this software. And then there's the whole process that they go through of bug checking and they have to try it on a number of different phones to make sure it doesn't inadvertently destroy data, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Another privacy concern out there, thanks to the federal government, courtesy again of Rob Abiera. Washington wants your cable company to become a whole new privacy cop. And this is from the Washington Post. Get a load of this, right? So we have, you know, maybe you have cable at your house for your television service. You might have Comcast or Time Warner, various companies offer this service. And there's a little box that is sitting either on top of your TV or on some sort of console or whatever that you have. And that box does collect some data about you. And as it stands that data, the you know what Comcast can do with it, and all that stuff is regulated by the FCC. Now, however, we've got Apple and I guess Roku, and now Google is looking into creating a competition for your cable box. So you have Apple TV or something like this, and the federal government doesn't have regulatory power over them. Why? Because the government is not giving them any kind of monopoly, right? They just have to compete on a free market in order to get you to buy their device. 
So how is it that the federal government is going to get control over the way that information is collected and used, et cetera? And, of course, the way that it's sort of presented here is, I mean, I, I guess it is. It's adverse to the company, the way that the Washington Post is is presenting the information. But, you know, some people think, oh, it's terrible that these private companies get access to your information and sell you stuff. That's not the thing that we should all be worried about. The thing we should all be worried about is the government collecting this information about us and merging it into that huge database and forming the panopticon, the, you know, the Benthamite sort of prison that he had in mind. That's where we're going with this. And so the FCC wants to have control over anybody that's collecting this information about you. They want to have control over the information that comes in from the Apple TV, from whatever it is that Google's going to have as an analog, etc. And how are they going to do it? This is what they plan to do. They want to tell these cable content providers, right, that if those cable providers or other companies that are regulated by the FCC, if those companies are going to allow these other boxes to pick up on content, that part of the deal has to be that they can also impose certain restrictions and maybe collection and et cetera of the data. So they want the cable companies that are now regulated by the government to be in charge of, you know, they kind of deputize them and then they have them be in charge of whatever data is coming in through Google or Apple or the current competitors. They do not like the fact that high-tech firms allow us to, you know, either take in content or, you know, otherwise consume comment, create content, et cetera, without being regulated by the government, Right. It used to be that if you wanted to do something you know, that was like a television show, eventually the government would have its teeth into you because there, you could, it'd have to be on an actual TV station regulated by FCC, etc. Now, you go out there and you just put anything up on the Internet and it has maybe you know content and people consume it as they consume TV shows, but the government doesn't have control over it. They hate that. And so they're finding these different ways. So they want to deputize the cable company, which means, of course, add an extra layer of cost to it as well for the cable companies to, um, you know, control how that content is collected, et cetera. So they say regulators want to make it so that you have more choice in the kinds of set-top boxes you use to display cable programming on your phone, I mean, excuse me, on your TV, But then they say, right now, through your set-top box, cable companies have access to lots of data about what shows you watch, when, and how. Uh, They also know things like your name, home address, et cetera. And there's a lot of regulations put in place by FCC that control how they use that. They say, but the FCC doesn't have much jurisdiction over companies like Google. The relevant regulations here can only be legally applied to cable companies. So what would happen if Google built the competing set-top box? So... What do they want to do? Um, The FCC thinks that they can get third-party companies to comply with privacy regulations, but they want to deputize the cable companies. Cable firms, quote, would be required to provide their content only if the entity they're providing information to agrees to certain requirements. 
is an FCC official quoted on this. Uh, one of the requirements is to say they agree to Title VI standards. What are Title VI standards? The part of the communications law that regulates the cable industry includes the privacy regulations that we're talking about for cable companies. And any government privacy regulation just says, yeah, we're pretending to protect your privacy, but really it means all your information is belong to us. That's what a privacy regulation is, right? Us meaning the government, meaning 1984. So you think you can escape the control of the FCC over your private information by grabbing one of these third-party provider boxes, but maybe not if the FCC has its way. Now, I don't know if anybody wants to uh, call in and comment on any of this, 760-888-5817. I have just a few minutes left, and what I actually might do is I might actually play you this content that I was kind of teasing about, but I'd, I'd actually like you to see the video of this one. So what I'll do is I'll tell you about it, and then maybe what I'll do is I'll, I'll finish off the show with a piece of music because the music doesn't require a video. But the thing I want you to check out, if you go to don'tletitgo.com and you check out the program notes, at the bottom of the program notes is a YouTube video called Cruise, Cruise, Cruise. And there is a woman who is calling herself Cruise Girl, it's a parody, I guess, of, of a Rihanna song that they've got here. But it's um, Cruise, Cruise, Cruise. It's a parody of this other song. And it's a takeoff on the Obama girl. So now there is a cruise girl. Go over, check out the video. It's a lot of fun. And if you like it, please share, share, share. I think you would really uh, enjoy it. It might actually help the cruise campaign. You never know. Obama girl must have helped the Obama campaign in some way. Maybe what I should do is just give you a little taste of it. Okay, I'm, I'm plugging in my little cable here. I'm going to turn up my volume and just give you a little taste of this, I think, before I leave you for today. And then I'll also give you some music after that. So here's Cruise, Cruise, Cruise. Turn my uh, my microphone off there. Take me out like you take out ISIS is a classic uh, line there. Let's get down like future gas prices is the next line. Yeah, go check that out. Again, go to don'tletitgo.com. It's the video at the very bottom of the program notes for today. I think you will enjoy that. And what I want to do in the last couple of minutes, again, go to don'tletitgo.com. You can talk about today's show. Leave me comments. Uh, go ahead and go to iTunes through the links that I've got there, and you can leave ratings and reviews for the show, share it with your friends, enjoy all the program notes, read the Apple Brief, all that good stuff. And uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. But what I'm going to leave you with, if I can get it hooked up on the phone, is my current favorite song from the Jezebels. A lot of you know that I open the show 
with a little clip from the Jezebels called Mace Spray. But the one I'm going to play right now is from the new album, Cynthia, and it's called Stamina. Love. 